Everyone loves a good story, and Jesus is a master storyteller. The stories Jesus tells are called parables. Parables are an ancient way of telling stories that are simple yet riddled to carry deeper meaning. In parables, Jesus shares a vision for the kingdom of God, giving his listeners hope that all things are headed somewhere good toward wholeness and restoration, the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells parables about God's kingdom because God's kingdom is so different than what we understand about kingdoms. Doesn't empire always use coercive domination and power? Not God's kingdom. This empire is one of self-giving love. And it's so hard for us to understand and see. So Jesus uses parables to get the attention of his listeners then and now about this very different vision of God's kingdom. And it may repel us at times, as it did some people of Jesus's time. They weren't ready to see what God was up to in this new movement of love. We may be there at times too. Or these parables may hook us and evoke our desire and expand our imagination and arouse curiosity about who God is and what God is doing now. Now, when all that we see in our world feels like the other kingdoms have won. Now, when we want hope too. And you may be surprised by some of the qualities parables boast. You might be shocked at who this God is that we find. You might just find yourself with eyes to see and ears to hear how the kingdom of God is here now within you and all around you as you develop these parable deciphering skills to see the kingdom of God in your stories and our stories and the world's stories every day as God's kingdom comes here on earth as in heaven, and we together learn to live in the reign of God's hidden, subversive, and prophetic kingdom of love. Everybody loves a good story. So let's spend our summer at Salt House listening to the master storyteller, Jesus, and his parables. Friends, good morning. Man, I wasn't here the last two Sundays, and I have missed y'all. I've missed being here. Two Sundays ago, we had a sick kiddo, not COVID, but he's eight years old, so someone's got to stay home with him. So so I stayed home, and um, I loved worshiping with our online community, so that was really great. And then this last Sunday, I was starting four days, uh, which I spent um, at an Airbnb by myself. And, uh, but I went there really um, intentionally to do some listening and visioning for us as a community, and it was just such a delightful time of reconnection with God and with my body and into my creativity and capacity and time walking on the beach, and I'm just so excited and energized just for what's in store for us here at Salt House this fall and beyond and what God is doing here. So I just feel really renewed, and I just really needed that, and I wanted you to hear that, so Yay! All right, thanks. No, I'm just kidding. So today, um, again, before we get started, Pastor Ryan mentioned it at the beginning, but for folks worshiping at home, if you haven't yet, there is a YouTube link there with the post at the top of the post, so click on that and pause it and have it ready and queued up because we can't listen to it, watch it because of copyright issues. Um, so do that and be ready, or you can do it later when it's time, but, that's, but know that that's coming. Those listening later on the podcast, uh, you'll be fine, so... Don't worry, it'll be there. 
All right, so friends, let's begin by turning to one of Jesus' parables, which is our practice this summer, as again, we let these stories that reveal the kingdom of God captivate our imagination in the midst of a time in our lives and our world when things feel like too much and there's a lot to be, feel hopeless and despairing about. But we pause in the parables to remember that all of this, as it said in the video, all of this is headed somewhere and that somewhere is good. So, returning to Luke chapter 14 today, we're going to read actually two parables because they're in there and they're back to back and they have very similar themes. The second parable is where we'll focus. So as you listen to these parables that are read, man, just get into it. So pay attention, envision it, because at the end of our sermon time, as we have been in these last weeks, you will have a chance to respond with what's coming up for you in these parables as we let the story, uh, in its simplicity, yet with its many layers, speak to our own, our own stories that we're living in now, okay? So you ready to listen? Here's some, here's some good parables. All right, let's do it. So Jeannie's going to read for us. She, um, Jeannie's been recovering from a spinal fusion surgery, but we're delighted that she can still lead us in worship from home. So here's Jeannie. Luke 14, 12 through 24, from the Inclusive Bible. Then Jesus said to the host, Whenever you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends or colleagues or relatives are wealthy neighbors. They might invite you in return and thus repay you. No, when you have a reception, invite those who are poor or have a physical infirmities or are blind. You should be pleased that they can't pay, repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One of the guests heard this and said to Jesus, Happier those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus responded, A landowner was giving a large dinner and sent out many invitations. At dinner time, the landowner instructed an aide to say to, the, and to say to those invited, Come to the feast. Everything is ready. But they began to excuse themselves each and every one. The first one said to the aide, I've just bought some land and I need to go out and inspect it. Please send my regrets. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go out and test them. Please excuse me. A third said, I've just gotten married, so of course I can't come. The aide returned and reported all of this to the landowner. The landowner became angry and said to the aide, go into town, into the streets and alleys and bring those who are poor and crippled and those who are blind or lame. After doing so, the aide reported, your orders have been carried out, and there's still room. The landowner then said to the aide, Go out and scour the sides of the roads and back roads. Make them come in. I want my house to be full. But I tell you, not one of those I had initially invited will taste a bite of my dinner. 
the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Jeannie. We continue to pray for you. Thank you. So that second parable is often called the parable of the great banquet. So just, again, like, tap into it. You just heard it. What's jumping out for you in this parable today? So I invite you just to intentionally keep that parable of the great banquet with you as we move through our time, and then we'll come back to it in a bit with a chance for you to share. So as I consider the story that I'm living now, next month will mark four years since my concussion. Uh, It was in a soccer game uh, when I fell backward and rolled back and hit my head on the turf, and a month later received the diagnosis of post-concussion syndrome, which meant that the symptoms of concussion would last for a while. And if you've been around Salt House, you know it's been a journey for me. So it's coming up, it's going to be four years, and that just feels significant to me. And I've I've shared this summer how I had a head bonk at the beginning of the month of June when I was in my kitchen and I bent down to get something from under the sink and I stood up into the corner of a cupboard that was open above me, which like sucks for anybody, right? So like not great. Um, But for me, the way that my body exists in this world, it's still a bit fragile. Like I still can't go jogging yet because it's just too high impact and jarring for my system. And according to my neurologist, I will have these experiences these triggers that set my body back into concussion symptoms that essentially re-trigger the trauma response in my body, and that kitchen cabinet did. So many of you often uh, inquire about what it's like and what I do to get better or to kind of move through those symptoms and the trauma when that's triggered in my body. And so many of you pray me through those times, these times, for which I'm immeasurably grateful. So today I'm going to actually share a little bit about how I move through these times, like zoom into kind of a little microcosm of my life a little bit because of your curiosity, but also in this practice that we hold here at Salt House, that stories matter, right? And so I'm going to share just a little slice of what my life, my story is when this happens in my body. So most days, um, just most days, the way I function, I'm still aware of my brain injury on my capacity to just function in the world. And y'all are privy to this when I kind of cross the bigger threshold of my my symptoms being triggered, depending on how bad it is, right? So I I have to adjust certain pieces of my role when it gets to be too, too much. And most obvious is when the trauma symptomology is significant enough that it's hard to preach in person, right? To speak publicly because my body just can't handle the adrenaline and like processing that in a healthy way. And also the fight, flight, freeze response in my brain, like it's just locked in such a way that my eyesight doesn't work quite right. And so it's like a lot to like look down and up and to like take in all of the things that are happening around me. And so the solution is that I record a video of my sermon ahead of time which if you were here, I did that for a year after my initial concussion before COVID made sermon videos super cool, right? Like we were like, oh, we know how to do this. Yeah. And then I did some of that again in June just because I was still, I was just in it again. And I'm still not quite back from that trigger in June, but definitely improving. And I'm not a trauma expert, uh, but I have learned one thing. One thing that I've learned is that trauma throws us out of ourselves. Like our body doesn't feel safe when it is centered and present. And so we are thrown out of ourselves. We disassociate to protect ourselves. And then one way to describe the journey of healing uh, after any kind of trauma 
is the process of coming home to yourself, arriving back in your body. And I've learned that therapy is really important with trauma, yet also necessary in some, uh, in some form, is some kind of body work. So like yoga, acupuncture, massage, EMDR, cranial sacral therapy, something that gets us into our body kind of beyond the words and like the mental processing of it, but actually helps our body move through what has happened. So cranial sacral therapy, um, as I've talked about it before, but that has been such a healing modality for me, um, which I never heard of until four years ago. So if you're like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Um, totally with you, I had no idea. But cranial sacral therapy is a gentle hands-on technique that uses a light touch to examine the membranes and the movement of fluids in and around the central nervous system. I know, bonkers, right? So relieving the tension in the central nervous system can eliminate the trauma response, it can relieve pain, it can boost health and immunity. Apparently, our cerebral spinal fluid flows to the base of our spine and then up and around our brain, causing our skull to swell slightly every six seconds. It's happening in your body right now. Who knew, right? So in these fluids is where we experience fight, flight, freeze responses. So my flow of cerebral spinal fluid was wobbly. It was slow and shaky after my concussion because my body was in like extreme caution mode. It was wise. It was like, that was bad. Let's not do that again. Let's be really careful so nothing bad happens again, right? So cranial sacral therapy has helped my body release that wobble, that trauma response. I also, um, I just get jammed and my, my skull bones can get stuck where th and they're like overlapped and not moving and that causes a lot of brain fog as well. So the attention to the central nervous system like this, it not only helps shift uh, kind of what's stuck physically, but as we might guess, there are emotions tied to those physical things, right? And so cranial sacral therapy can help us move through stuck emotions and stuck memories as well, which continues to absolutely be the case for me. Are you, still, are you with me? Is this, is this making sense? Cool. I feel like, it, I know it kind of sounds like magic or like, I'm sorry, what? You know, it's, I just know it's unfamiliar territory for a lot of us. And, um, but I just know that it's, re it's legit and it's been wildly healing for me. So the pr practitioner that I see is Susanna, named Susanna, and is about six months after my concussion that I started meeting with her. And I just go to regular appointments where she does that hands-on work. Then she also gives me some movements, just really simple things that I can do at home that help my body get back into rhythm and release trauma. I need some work with some of my um, crossover movements and eyesight things, so I do some things with that as well. Um, but for example, one of the things that you can try right now is just opening your hands in front of you. You can rest them on your lap if you're sitting and just slowly close your fingers into a soft fist and then open them back up again with about three seconds to kind of make that movement and you can just, from open to closed, just can kind of keep doing that slowly. And as you do this, your body goes, huh, what's that? And then it goes, oh, that's a regular predictable rhythm that I'm creating. I know this, okay, let's make sure that my whole system is doing this regular rhythm thing. So it's just a simple way to gently jumpstart your body back into rhythm. Wow, that was really good for me. That was good. Um, so so it was, it's movements like that. So when I get bonked like I did in June, I, I feel very brain tired. I feel out of rhythm and stuck. It feels like I'm not really in my body and there's a traffic jam in the front of my skull. 
And I've, this time I also have a bit of wobble in my system again, so if I'm really still, I can just feel this slight shake in my body. And when I have symptoms like this, like I back way out from most activities and I make time for rest, especially in the evening, like at the end of the day, once the kids are in bed, I turn to Jason and I'm like, hey, go downstairs and I'm gonna have some brain time. And I go downstairs and I sit on the couch and I dim the lights and I move through some of those breathing practices and movement exercises that I've learned. And sometimes I journal during that time. And what that time has become for me more than anything, like in addition to helping my body hopefully find its flow and rhythm again, to then know that it's safe and well, is that it's a chance for me to stop and feel my feelings. Like most of those movements are designed to help me stop and be still and be here and release whatever has accumulated in my body throughout the busyness and movement of the day. So that's right, I'm saying that the key piece of like moving through when I'm stuck in trauma in my body is allowing space to feel my feelings. And I, I just find that remarkable. It's like, oh, like what do I need to do? I need to stop, like holding it all together and release into being here in this moment and letting the grief and disappointment and fear and anger and everything that is in me, like let it rise and just feel it all. Like, that is what helps me move through the trauma in my body when I am stuck in fight, flight, freeze, and concussion brain, and enter side note, side note about how, man, don't we all in our own way get stuck in our unprocessed, stuffed emotions? So cranial sacral therapy, daily exercises, feeling all the things, taking time to rest during the day, staying home and, like, missing things, like... This is just kind of a little slice of what it's like for me. It was really intensely that way in my first year after the concussion, which also included physical therapy and occupational therapy. And then I'm kind of moved back into this, especially when my symptoms are triggered again. And I know that I'm not the only one in our community who has these kinds of extras, these extra ways that you are kind of different in the world, displaced from what feels like the regular ways that people exist and move through the world. When you're someone, you're like you're having a, you have to make appointments like to, and fit them in and then figure out how to get to them and having to pace yourself or planning things out ahead of time or doing exercises and things that you've been assigned. Canceling plans because you don't feel up to it. When it comes to gathering with other people, it can be tricky because it's either overwhelming or it feels too dangerous because you're feeling fragile or you're worried about COVID or germs. Or are you someone who is getting older? Yeah, like our bodies are getting slower and more complicated all the time. There's also those of us who just move around with a veil of grief uh, because of really significant loss. And that also can throw us out of our body because of that grief. So friends, I kind of give you this little microcosm of my life because it is, this is so many of us in our own ways. And I share that, um, that bit of my recovery because I know I'm not alone. And many of us experience this displacement, this absence from life, like we're on the outside looking in at times. And then we have this parable. Two of them, actually. Are they still with you? You got them? So the first shorter parable feels at first almost like advice or practical wisdom. Jesus saying, okay, here's some just like good social rules to follow. Like do invite these people, don't invite those people. Yet if we hold it alongside the second parable, it takes on a really good deeper meaning. So the second parable, 
Jesus tells you know, a parable about a landowner hosting a great banquet, and he sends out a ton of invitations, dinner time rolls around, it's time to party, yet it turns out that once it's time to have this awesome banquet, folks just have other stuff going on, they're just too busy. So the aide reports that to the landowner that nobody's gonna come, and he is pissed. So he sends his aid out again, as it says, into the streets and alleys to bring in those who are poor or disadvantaged and those who are blind or disabled. Then after the aid does that, there's still more room at the banquet and the landowner makes the point of sending the invitation out even further to scour, it says, the side roads and the back alleys and make them all come on in. Like this landowner wants the house full. Everyone's invited. Now, as you read this parable, like, it checks out. Like, it lines up with what Jesus would typically talk about and say and do. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is the guy who goes to, talks with the poor, disabled, the blind. I would guess for you, as you, hear, as you heard that parable, it lands in your spirit with, well, yes, of course. Like, Jesus is doing the beautiful, radically inclusive, justice-seeking work that he does, where he sees those on the fringes, those displaced, the left out, those in pain, those moving at a different pace through this world and says, I see you, I welcome you, come on in. And that is just like gorgeous, full stop, right? But this is a parable of Jesus. And so it's always good to get curious, as we've talked about in these past weeks, about what is actually in here that might be controversial or surprising or even shocking. And one piece of that it is shocking that a wealthy landowner would fraternize with the poor, the blind, the disabled. That social advice that Jesus gives in the first shorter parable, don't invite your friends or colleagues or relatives or wealthy neighbors to dinner, but invite the poor and those with physical infirmities or are blind. Like this is shocking to Jesus' listeners then. You don't socialize across economic or class lines. Not to mention like how those who were physically disabled, that culture had a narrative that said, if your body doesn't work, man, it's because of something you did. Like it's your sin or it's the sin of previous generations, so don't hang out with those sinners. What Jesus says is absolutely a reversal, a reversed way of thinking of who it is you should eat with. And honestly, it is such a challenging for, word for us today too, like how often do we invite into our home someone who cannot return the invitation? Or vice versa, just with someone very economically or physically different than us. And that's like a whole sermon in itself, which I just hand to you for further contemplation. Like, wow. But there's something more that I want to press into. I read this parable so differently now than I did five years ago before my concussion. The shocking thing that I notice when I read this parable with my body the way that it is now is that Jesus speaks of a landowner who invites the poor, the broken, the differently able to his house to feast, but not to heal them. They are welcomed in as they are. Like these are the, these are the bodies that, are, that pack out this table as they are. And in Jesus, for Jesus to do this in doing so, the great healer, right? He's the great healer in so many moments in the Gospels. But he does this and it offers us another perspective about our bodies. 
And since we are becoming parable experts this summer, we know Jesus uses parables to describe and reveal what? God's kingdom. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Um, The kingdom of God, right? Parables are about the kingdom of God. Um, So this is always casting that vision of restoration and reconciliation of all things. Like, So Jesus describes the kingdom of God coming here on earth as in heaven in parables because it's so far beyond what we can imagine. So he uses these tricky stories. And so what must this parable be about? The kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Trust your gut. Yeah, it's the kingdom of God. So Jesus, again, so often he's the healer. He's offering a different perspective of who and how we experience the kingdom of God. You see, I've always associated God's kingdom like with healing, like bodies restored. Like that's how you know God is here. God has done something healing. And we see that as true in so much of the gospels, right? Healing is what happens in God's kingdom. But look here at this parable. It's not the only way. Healing is not a prerequisite to experiencing the kingdom of God. In fact, in this parable, it is, the, it is only those who are broken and sick who get to even taste the feast. What? The folks with limitations to their bodies that force them to exist on the fringes of the regular ways most people exist in the world, they are displaced. But you know what they are in place for? They are in place to experience the kingdom of God. From their vantage point, somehow they are uniquely wired to be ready recipients of the kingdom of God. And could it be their displacement that is the very thing that makes God's kingdom accessible? Because they see the world from a different point of view. Maybe because they're they're forced to move slower, take on less, not join in. They don't have previous commitments to tend to, like those who canceled on the landowner. They don't have land to inspect, no oxen to tend to, no wedding just happened, no excuses get in the way. This is who the great feast is for. Jesus points to how God's kingdom is there for the tasting for those who are sick, poor, blind, differently abled, which moves me and shocks me in this parable. And yet, it is also what I have found to be desperately true in my own journey in these last four years. It is that during certain moments of my cranial sacral sessions or as I'm taking my brain time on the couch in our basement, like, here's the thing. In the weeping and the feeling, as I am, and as I am in it, it becomes the space where I feel closest to God. Like, my displacement somehow makes a place for me with God. And I've experienced like so much love, grace, insight, encouragement in the times when I'm weeping, in the times when my symptoms are spiking and all feels hopeless and dizzy and disembodied and stuck, and I'm not who I used to be, in my displacement from life as most of us know it and as I knew it, I find myself saying yes to a shocking invitation to the great supper, to a feast, where as I am in my weeping, traumaed brokenness. Like, I experienced the kingdom of God in those moments. And I may not be healed, 
but man, I feel whole. And I've just marveled at how this works and at how five years ago, man, I just, I didn't know this, right? I didn't then have the patience or the vulnerability to be able to stop and make this kind of space in my day and my life. And it's only because I've had to. Like, it's like I haven't had a choice. Like my body needs this. And in my incapacity, Jesus welcomes me as I am to his banquet. This, he says, in my moments of tears, is the kingdom of God. I see you. I welcome you. Come on in. Jesus flips everything on its head, saying, those who don't have the capacity to do what the world would ask of them do have the capacity to become the kingdom of God. No healing required. Not that it can't come to, and it often does, but it's not required. My friends, I see this in you, the kingdom of God in you, in those I've been close to in the midst of pain and disability and illness and struggle and loss. Some of us are always in it to some degree, whether because of how our body is or the body or capacity of a family member or loved one, like we just live in that place of displacement. And for the rest of us, you know, who don't live there most of the time, we have or we will face we will face it for a season when the rug gets pulled out from under us and we find ourselves displaced from the regular rhythms of life. And again, it's just more and more often as we age, right? That's part of it. But dear ones, when you feel your displacement, and maybe that's now, hear this for you, that Jesus shows us how our God makes a place for the displaced. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is not the assurance that everything will be good and okay. But it is the promise that when you are lost down the back roads, that our God will scour the alleyways to find you and offer a place at the great supper for you as you are the kingdom of God. Isn't that something? And it is something that I wonder. I wonder if it is something as you reflect on your own story that you have found is true, finding yourself at the feast shockingly in those times of displacement. For the next few minutes, let's hear from you about it. Parables are meant to stir us about the kingdom of God, and I made some connections to the parable with my own story, but how does this parable connect to your story, or what's coming up for you, about you. So not just like the interesting fact, but what is happening in your heart now. So we would love to hear a few words about that. Take less than a minute. Remember that this is live streamed, so it's not totally contained in this room. Folks at home, we always love your comments um, as well. But friends, what's coming up for you as you spend time in this parable and in this space that we're sharing? Pastor Ryan will come and find you if you want to give a wave. I'm totally good with silence. It doesn't bother me at all. I know, me neither. <laughs> quirky thing, but I'll admit it. We had our neighbors over for dinner last night, 
it was lovely. And this is just one of the passages where I've just given myself permission to say, I don't think Jesus meant in general, don't have your neighbors over for dinner. And I'm just decide I'm okay with that, if that's all right. Sorry. Mm, totally. I love that honest word. Uh, in my work as a volunteer coordinator, I'm, I'm in the place of inviting people in a lot, whether it's like a fundraising banquet or like an event or a camp or anything. Um, and I can get discouraged real quickly when you get a lot of no's, mm -hmm. um, and, and we get them a lot. But oftentimes I find that the yeses that come later down the road are the ones that feel good and are the right ones. Mm -hmm. So this kind of sits really true with me of like, yeah, it's okay sure. that I get those no's because mm -hmm. the right people will come. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. We were listening on the way in this morning, and I, um, I had a, uh, it was hard to get here today, so I feel seen. Mm. Um, mm. I feel like our family is seen um, mm. when we talk about things like this as a community. So right. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. Well, thank you. I want to close. Um, by sharing something that feels a little intimate to me to do, I want to share some music. Uh, during my brain time in my basement, uh, I often listen to music as it helps me move through and feel my stuck emotions, right, as music often does. It affects our emotional world, right? Recently, I've been immersing myself in choral music. Uh, singing in choir is just a huge part of my background and my formation. And I found an album last month that has just been like my heart jam for this time. And it may not be yours, so that's okay, but I, I want to use a song from that album to create some space for us here. So reminder again, folks at home, there's a link that you can click on um, posted in the live stream. You can also search for it. If you Google it, the song is called Find Our Way by Voces 8, V-O-C-E-S 8, which is a stellar uh, choral group from London. And you can listen at home and then jump back on the live stream after you listen to it. I, I just know now how hard it is for any of us to stop and feel what we feel in the fullness of who and how we are. And yet, it's remarkable how God invites us in when we do take that time. And so my friends, what do you need to feel today? What do you need to let go of and let rise? And so as we listen to this, I invite you just into a posture that feels good for you, maybe hands open on your lap or on your heart. Um, whatever feels right for you. But this is find our way. There are very few words to it. Um, I hear them mostly as God speaking to us. So that's one way to hear it. But there are a few also spoken to God as well. And you can watch them singing in the video or just shut your eyes and let the sound enfold you.
wept a lot to that song in the past month, so I was like sitting in the front, I was like, okay, all right. Um, I, I commend to you the rest of this album called Infinity. I had the realization this last month that I listened to choral music like this because to me, this is what love sounds like. Not only like the tension and the shimmery chords, the, like the sound and experience of it all, but also like in this piece, the words too, man, let it go. In love, we find our way. With trust, hope remains. And then I hear this as like God saying, I'll be here, stay right here. Don't you see? Don't you fear? In love, we find our way through the night. In love, we find the way. Your love is the way. Like, each simple phrase has been so impactful for me to meditate on and receive and cry to. Perhaps the most powerful for me has been when I'm feeling like just so displaced and alone that I hear the words as spoken from God, this gorgeous, gorgeous invitation that, that I'll be here, stay right here. Don't you see? Like what a word for whatever moment we're living into, that God is here, stay right here. Let it all go. Let love in for, in love we find our way. We find the way. God's love is the way. So Jesus invites us into this way of love, to a feast, a banquet spread for us, where he says, I see you, I welcome you. Come on in. Such is the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Sometimes. 